It's Monty. Welcome to the Rockcast. Like a bad rash. It won't go away. Thanks for joining me. Get ready for another action-packed episode. Wow. As usual on today's show, I'll be playing some cool tunes, I'll be telling some stories, and I'll be answering questions. But to start things off, I'm going to read some of your comments about the last episode. No thanks! As you recall, it was my year-end special where I counted down my favorite songs and albums of the year. And Matt and KC said, I was surprised that Avatar wasn't in your top ten. Hmm, yeah, well, Matt, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I did like some stuff on the new Avatar album. But the reason why it didn't make it into my top ten was because I did not have a top ten. I not only couldn't come up with 10 albums that I liked from last year, I had a hard time coming up with three. Maybe I'm just kind of jaded, I don't know, but there's just not much anymore that gets me too excited musically. Something's wrong with you. I also got a message from Chris in Baltimore who said, Hey Monty, the Rockcast was good. It helped me get through fixing my toilet. Nice. Wow, well Chris, I'm so glad I could help. And it's that kind of overwhelmingly positive feedback that just motivates me to keep doing these podcasts. Am I excited about this or not? All right, time now for some questions. And you guys are always welcome to message me or email me and ask me anything you want. And today I got one from Dan the Man Cunningham, who has been a longtime listener to the Rockcast. And he's a big Galactic Cowboys fan, so this should be good. And he messaged me on Facebook, so let me look it up here. Uh, searching, okay, here we go. Uh, Dan says, hey, Monty, how are you? Huh? Oh, well, thanks for asking, Dan. What kind of question is that? Uh, you know, what I usually tell people is uh, I'm hanging in there. Uh, I made it through the holidays this year, and uh, I'll be honest, it kind of sucked. This was the first time in my life that uh, I spent Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day completely by myself. Awesome. In the past, I had my parents, or family, or a spouse, or kids, or somebody. This year, nobody. Everybody's either passed away or they're freaked out by COVID. Or maybe it's just that nobody likes me. Ah, there you go. And not even Santa Claus came to my apartment. And uh, it's a shame because I even left cookies. But no, no Santa. Screw that guy. And I was also kind of dreading New Year's Eve uh, because, you know, you're supposed to get out and party. But I knew of no parties, so I just stayed home, I made myself some cashew chicken, and I watched my favorite TV show, Love. 
Oh, come on. That's right. I told you about it on the last episode. It was my favorite show of the year, and it still is. I'm still watching it. It's on Netflix, and it's called Love. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. It's about a guy and a girl in this relationship, and that's probably why I love the show Love. It's because I have none. And so I can at least sit there and watch somebody else have a relationship. Honestly, can it get any more pathetic? Well, wait a second. Yes. But yeah, you know, I watched Netflix, I uh, watched a lot of sports, and I worked on my paintings over the holidays. But I'm not going to lie, it was a little bit lonely at times. And it kind of reminded me of another time in my life when I was equally as lonely. Now he has a story to tell, and what a story. So my story begins all the way back in the late 70s. And I'll have to explain to the young people listening right now that that was a time when there weren't any laptops. No. Video games hadn't been invented yet. No. We didn't have cable. No. And there were no cell phones. No. Yeah, it was like the Stone Age. And I was in college, and the first year I spent in the dorms. And I hated it because my roommate was a dick and just about everybody in the dorm was an asshole. The first week I was there, somebody broke my TV. And then they'd want to stay up all night screaming, but then had the balls to complain when I wanted to play my guitar. It was like, uh, yeah, could you keep it down? I'm trying to study. And so when I started my second year, I was like, I'm never staying in the dorms again. I'm going to get my own apartment. And so I found this one-room place that was across the street from the campus. And when I say one room, that's what it was. It was one room. It had a bed, a sink, a stove, and a refrigerator. And that was it. The shower was upstairs, but I spent all my time in that one little dinky place. And at first it wasn't bad. I was like, well, I can play my guitar all I want now. I can put up my Adrian Barbeau and Farrah Fawcett posters, and it's going to be pretty cool. But after a couple of weeks, uh, not so cool. This is a fascinating story. So I'm living by myself in Springfield, Missouri. I've got a couple of dudes that I hang out with once in a while, but for the most part, I don't know anybody. I don't have a girlfriend, nothing. And day by day, I just started getting more and more depressed. And I remember just sitting there looking out the window going, what am I doing with my life? I didn't know what the future held for me. I didn't know uh, where I was going. And I was getting so disillusioned with everything that I seriously considered just dropping out of school and moving back home. But I ended up sticking it out and I finally graduated and got my degree in art. And lo and behold, about 14 or 15 years later, I ended up writing a song about that experience. It was called In a Lonely Room, and uh, the Galactic Cowboys recorded that, and we put it on our Machine Fish album. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. I don't agree with it, but I I think it's, it's an amazing story.
So there you go. That's In a Lonely Room by my band Galactic Cowboys. And we only played that live one time. And you're probably saying, but Monty, why? It's got such a great heavy riff. Why wouldn't you play that live? And the answer is, is that I don't really think the guys in the band ever really liked that song that much. I did. It meant a lot to me, but uh, that's just me. And honestly, there were songs that uh, I didn't want to play live because uh, there's Galactic Cowboy songs that I don't really like that much. Not that many, but there's a few. But back when we did the Machine Fish album, uh, I thought everyone liked the song in a lonely room. And we put it on the album, but uh, then uh, after it came out, uh, no one wanted to play it live. And then I found out after I read an interview with Ben that uh, Ben was like, well, you know, if I was in a lonely room, I think I'd just leave. Oh, really? Which now, you know, I kind of get that. And, uh, you know, it makes sense. Oh, really? Unless there's a pandemic and you're in a lockdown. (laughs) Yeah. But hey, I got to give Ben a hard time because, uh, you know, somebody needs to. But that's just the way it is when you're in a band. Uh, There's a lot of give and take. Uh, You're not always going to like everything that uh, the other guys write. But I've actually talked to other people who like that song and uh, could relate to the lyrics. So uh, there you go. And that's the deal with In a Lonely Room. Okay, let's do another question from you guys. This one comes from Kevin Carey in Minnesota. And Kevin says, Hey, Monty, I'm just wondering if you can recall your worst gig. And not your worst gig as in worst attendance, but the gig that was just horrible with some kind of whatever, crowd thing, sound gear, uh, train wrecks and songs. Someone had the flu and threw up on the stage and started a chain reaction of people on stage throwing up. Hope you guys aren't eating lunch. Wow, okay, yeah, Kevin, I think I get your point. But uh, let's see. Uh, Well, I've only had to cancel one show because I was sick. I got food poisoning after a gig in Dayton and had to go to the hospital. And so we had to cancel the next night in, I think it was Cleveland. But I have had a lot of technical problems over the years. And it's because I have kind of a weird setup. I've got your usual bass setup, which is an Ampeg head and cabinet. But I also play through a full-on guitar rig. And I've usually got an extra distortion pedal and there's chords running all over the place. And so there's a lot of opportunity for stuff to go wrong. And I think we were on the, uh, at the end of the day tour, uh, we were opening for King's X. And I don't remember where we were at. It might've been Nashville or somewhere like that. But halfway through our set, my low end goes out. And of course, I'm the bass player, so low end and bass is uh, pretty important. And so my bass tech at the time starts trying to fix it and figure out what went wrong. And we just stood there in front of the crowd for like 10, 15 minutes. And it was awkward and embarrassing, but uh, they finally figured out that my amp had just blown. 
And I think we ended up plugging into a direct box or something like that, and I finished the set, but uh, it was pretty bad. It was horrible. Uh, let's see, as far as train wrecks, I don't remember the band having many of those, if ever. But I know personally, I train wrecked a song uh, in Phoenix, Arizona one night. And we were playing the song, You Make Me Smile. And it's kind of hard to play. Uh, it's got a lot of complicated riffs. Uh, it's pretty fast. And we were about halfway through it, and I don't know what happened, but I started singing the chorus, and I just lost it. My mind just went blank. And I started hitting wrong notes, and it was literally just a train wreck. And uh, I finally just stopped. I just stopped playing. And the band kept going, so I just caught up with them and uh, finished the song. And I felt really bad about it, but there weren't that many people there that night. And I thought, well, you know, uh, maybe no one will remember. Well, months or years later, somebody comes up to me and hands me a bootleg cassette of that very gig. And I'm like, oh no. And of course, I'm hoping it's one of those bootlegs where you can't hear the bass at all. Because believe me, I've heard plenty of those. But oh no, it's one of those where you can hear every note of the bass. And I listen and I'm just like, holy crap, it was even worse than I imagined. And so, yeah, that was not a good gig. It was a disaster. Now, as far as those shows where the attendance was really bad, well, some of those were really bad. Uh, some of those were actually good. For instance, Galactic Cowboys had a headline show one year in Sacramento, California. And it was this little club out in the middle of nowhere, and we came pulling up in a tour bus. And we set up our stuff, and when we got ready to play, there was one guy sitting at a table. And his name was Vic. He was a great guy. He was a fan of us. And so we went ahead and played the entire set for him. And honestly, I just went ahead and had a great time. At one point, I just jumped down onto the floor and uh, played and walked over to Vic's table and sat down with him and I kept playing. And Vic seemed to enjoy the show and so did I. And so that wasn't that bad. However, in the late 90s, I think it was probably around uh, 98, uh, we were asked to play a drum competition in Houston. And during the day, there was all these drummers in there competing, but uh, at the end of the night, we were going to be the headline act. And it was a great big stage with this giant video screen behind us. And when we started playing, that place was packed. And I was feeling great, and I was having fun, but after the third song, this guy just walks onto the stage. And I'm just like, what the hell's going on? And he walks up to the mic and he says, and now we're going to announce the winner of the drum competition. And we're just standing there waiting for this to end. And uh, he finally gives the trophy to the winning drummer. And he was like, okay, you can go ahead and play again. And so we kick into the next song of the set. And as I'm playing, I'm looking out into the crowd and watching as each person in that crowd left. And within what seemed like just a few minutes, uh, the whole club emptied, and I looked down, and there were three people standing in front of us, two of which we were married to. And truth be known, probably the only reason why they were still there was because they had to be, mainly because we were their ride home. How sad is that? And we went ahead and finished the rest of the set, but I gotta tell you, while we were playing, I'm just thinking, I'm done. 
We were literally playing in our hometown of Houston, Texas, and nobody cared anymore. And so we ended up taking a break for about 10 years. And we did some reunion shows, and those went pretty well. And then I think it was around like 2015, uh, we did a show in Houston that sold out. So maybe absence makes the heart grow fonder. I don't know. But to answer Kevin Carey's question, which was, Monty, what's the worst gig you've ever had? Well, I thought about it, and this is it. It was back in 1991. Our first Galactic Cowboys album had come out. And I was so excited to tour, and Geffen Records sent us out with thrash metal band Overkill. And before the tour, I thought, you know, we're pretty heavy. Uh, I think their fans will like us. But when we got out there and started doing it, uh, some of those shows were pretty rough. As in, uh, a lot of their fans did not like us at all. And they'd start flipping us off or uh, yelling overkill or uh, even Slayer, uh, which was weird because Slayer was not playing. Morons. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, their crowd just didn't uh, exactly get us. Some nights we'd come out there and we'd be playing and it would seem like they were going to like us. And then all of a sudden when we started singing, they'd just turn on us. It was like, these guys are doing vocal harmonies, screw them. And so the beginning of the tour was already off to kind of a shaky start. But when we got to Cincinnati, we had to play a place called Bogarts. And there was a band that went on before us. And so uh, while they were playing, I just kind of walked out into the crowd and just kind of checked everything out. And the whole club was just filled with guys wearing black t-shirts with either Slayer or Overkill on it. And I just got the creepiest feeling like, oh, this is not going to go well. And sure enough, as soon as we started playing, uh, they started flipping us off and throwing stuff at us. And it was just cigarette lighters and coins and anything they could find in their pockets just raining down upon us. And we'd only gotten through about three or four songs, and it was not letting up. And I remember going over to our drummer, Alan, and just going, uh, let's get out of here. And I motioned to Dane, and we just walked off. And that was the only time we ever did that, but I had just had enough. And I went straight up to our dressing room, and I got on the phone with our manager. And I said, Sam, this is a waste of time and money. These people hate us. We need to get off this tour and go find another one where people will like us. And he said, no, stick it out. It'll be good for you. And so we did. We finished the entire tour with him. But I will always look back on that as probably the worst show of my entire career. There was nothing about that show that I enjoyed. And uh, there was really not much about that entire tour that I enjoyed. I don't think most of the guys in Overkill liked us that much, and I know their fans didn't. But good question, Kevin Carey. Here's some Overkill for you.
All right, I'm going to take a few minutes now to talk about social media. You remember how we all thought MySpace was so cool? If you are a musician, you could have a profile song on there that would just automatically start playing. And you could download backgrounds, and it was like we all had our own little website. And there was stuff on there like your eight favorite friends. And you might not even know who five of those people were, but you had your top eight. And your wife might not make the list, but Lita Ford or the singer from Bang Tango would. Hell yeah. And of course, every band in the world who had ever made a demo tape was on there trying to promote themselves. And of course, none of them gave a damn about you personally, but they'd still be posting annoying stuff on your page like, just stopping by to say hi. Be sure to check out our new album. Lame. And so after a while, we all got sick of that. And we said, you know, I'm going to Facebook. And when we got there, we said, you know, I don't have to be a rock star to be on here. All I've got to do is post pictures of what I had for dinner. And we were all happy with that. It just makes me feel so much better. And at first, we didn't realize that uh, Facebook was spying on us and gathering all our information. But we gradually learned to accept that because Facebook allowed us to post selfies that made it look like our lives were great. And that's a small price to pay for some attention. Absolutely. But gradually, Facebook started getting political. And everyone turned into an analyst and an expert. And out of that was born someone that I like to refer to as Block Me Now Guy. Who? This is that guy on your friends list who you may not even know who he is, but he will suddenly go on and post something like, If you don't agree with me, then block me now. And this actually happened to me about a week ago. Block Me Now guy went on and said, If you still support Trump, block me now. To which I responded, Bye. I say good riddance. So even though there's a lot of stuff that I hate about Facebook, I'm probably not getting off Facebook for a while because honestly, there's still a lot of stuff that I like about Facebook. Name one thing. And the main thing being that uh, it's been an amazing tool for me to promote my artwork and my art website, which, by the way, is montycalvinart.com. Commercial's over. You know, for years I would talk to myself and I would say, you know, if there was just some way that I could get my artwork out there, let people see it, uh, I might actually sell some stuff. And I don't know why it took me so long to figure it out, but uh, about six months ago, I started posting pictures of my paintings as I would do them, and man, it just took off. And so Facebook has been great for that. It's also been a nice way to meet fans, uh, some of whom I've actually become uh, really good friends with. And one thing that's been really cool for me is being able to connect with musicians and artists who I really look up to and respect. And one of them is my favorite musician of all time, Ginger Wildheart. And I've actually known Ginger a long time, and once in a while I'll message him, or I'll comment on one of his posts. And of course, Ginger's a guitar player, but the other day he posted this picture of himself holding this Fender bass. And he said, I've wanted this bass for ages, still can't believe it's mine. Now all I need is a band to play bass in. Any suggestions? 
to which somebody said, Buck Cherry, to which Ginger replied, no. So I commented, hey, Ginger, would you like to be in Crunchy? To which Ginger replied back to me, you sort out my visa and I'll be there. Oh, boy. How about that? And yeah, that would be nice and a dream come true. But it's just very cool knowing that Ginger Wildheart, one of my favorite musicians of all time, uh, actually likes my stuff. I know some people weren't that crazy about All Day Sucker, uh, my first Crunchy album. They didn't think it was heavy enough or was too poppy. But Ginger actually told me he thought it was great. And so that was awesome. Uh, Another thing that uh, was cool about Facebook the other day was I saw a post by Rich Ward from Stuck Mojo. And I'd met him a couple of times back in the 90s, but I didn't even think he'd remember me. But I made a comment anyway and said, yeah, we uh, played with you guys over at the Dynamo Festival, and uh, it was a great time, and you guys were amazing. And Rich commented back and said, uh, yeah, man, I remember that day uh, we went on before you, and it was an honor to play with Galactic Cowboys. And honestly, that was kind of a thrill for me to hear that because I love Stuck Mojo. And I don't know if you've ever seen him live, but Rich Ward is just a great performer, great guitar player, with just the most badass guitar tone you've ever heard. And so I haven't played any Stuck Mojo in a while. Uh, Let's play a tune now. Oh, my God. 
So yes, there are actually a few good things about Facebook. I still like scrolling through the feed occasionally, seeing what everybody's doing. And once in a while, I will run on to a question that somebody randomly throws out there for anyone to answer. And I like to steal those and use them for a segment on my podcast called Questions from Facebook. And here's one, which is, the last time you wore a band t-shirt, who was the band? Well, here's the deal with me. Uh, I am an old guy who refuses to act my age. It's just embarrassing! I started wearing band t-shirts when I was in high school, and I just never stopped. I think the first one I ever got was Rush, and I ordered it out of a magazine, and it had the naked guy standing there against the star. And my dad was like, what's that guy doing? Whoa, why doesn't he have any clothes on? But you gotta understand my dad back then. Uh, He did not like nudity, and uh, he didn't even like women wearing bikinis. That was very disturbing to him. For instance, one day uh, I was watching The Price is Right in my bedroom, and my dad comes walking in. And right at that exact moment, one of the models on The Price is Right is standing there in a bikini. And my dad is just like, good lord, what are you watching? And I was like, I don't know, it's not my fault. I know you, and I know what you're doing. But of course, what I didn't tell him is uh, that was the only reason why I would watch The Price is Right. Every day I was just sitting there hoping they would wear the bikinis. Naughty. And so needless to say, my dad was not thrilled when he saw my Rush Naked Guy t-shirt. And come to think of it, uh, why was that guy naked? Why was I wearing that t-shirt? Good lord. Get it together! So anyway, I refused to grow up, and uh, my whole entire wardrobe is pretty much just band t-shirts. And the one I'm wearing right now as I record this is uh, my band, Crunchy. And by the way, I do still have some of those. Uh, I've got crunchy t-shirts. I've got uh, some Rockcast t-shirts still. Uh, So just email me and ask me uh, what sizes I have and all that, and I'll try to hook you up and tell you how much it costs and whatever. And I also have crunchy CDs. So if you want to buy those, uh, once again, email me, message me on Facebook, and uh, I will tell you all about it. I really don't understand how it's so damn hard for people to comprehend. All right. The next question from Facebook is, who was the first actress, musician, celebrity crush you ever had? Well, I love these nostalgic questions because I love reminiscing about the past. Possibly because the present is so horrible, but I digress. But uh, let's see, um, my first celebrity crush was probably uh, Raquel Welch. Hot, hot. I was so young at that point, I think I was probably 10, and I didn't even know what a crush was. But when I saw a couple of pictures of her in TV Guide, my little prepubescent brain just went, oh yeah. And I remember actually taking the TV guide and tearing the pictures out like uh, no one was going to see that or figure it out. But of course my dad was like, hey, who took the pictures out of the TV guide? And I'm making my dad sound really cranky and like a real jerk, but he was actually a great dude. He was just extremely uptight when it came to that kind of thing. And I felt real guilty and embarrassed and ashamed which made it all that more intriguing. 
Because if your parents hate something like that, you know it's gotta be good. Hell yeah! So Raquel Welch was my first celebrity crush, but uh, I had many. And in the 70s, TV was just full of hot chicks. Of course, I was a big Marsha Brady fan from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> but as I got a little older, there was Catherine Bach from the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. And do you remember the Lander sisters? It was Audrey and Judy. I always thought Judy was a little bit hotter, but they both were. Stacked. And does anybody remember Lola Falana? <laughs> no. She used to come on these variety shows that they had back then, and uh, she'd wear these really skimpy outfits, and she'd dance, like, really nasty. Yeah! Well, trust me, she was hot. But as far as musicians, let's see, uh, Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, I had a picture of her up on my wall, as I did uh, Ann Wilson, believe it or not. I'm, I'm sorry, come again? Yeah, she used to be a total babe. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, Deborah Harry from Blondie. What? When she came on the scene back in the late 70s, uh, she had that whole punk vibe going on, and I thought she was very sexy for some reason. Of course, keep in mind, this was the 70s, and I was a teenager. If you were female and had on a pair of short shorts and some high heels, chances are I thought you were hot. You're kind of nutty, aren't you? You're kind of out there. All right, the next question comes from a group fan page on Facebook, and it's called All Things Rock and Roll from the 80s and 90s in Houston, Texas. And it's run by a really good friend of mine named Jennifer Schmitz. We've had some really amazing conversations over the last four or five months, and she's just an awesome person. And she's a promoter and books bands there in Houston. And, uh, you know, if you were part of that scene back in the 80s and 90s and you live in Houston or did, you might want to check that page out because it's really cool. And I am on there checking it out all the time because uh, I was living in Houston in the 80s and 90s, and uh, it was just a great scene. And I was just going out all the time, and you could see Pantera in a club and hang out with them in the parking lot afterwards. And it was just a great, fun time to be there. But the other day on the All Things Rock and Roll from the 80s and 90s in Houston, Texas fan site, someone posted this question. Did you ever camp out all night to get concert tickets? And the answer is, yes, I did. However, it was not in Houston. It was in Springfield, Missouri, back when I was going to college. I was a freshman, and Mom and Dad were no longer there to stop me. So me and a couple of those jerks from the dorm went over to the ticket office, and we just stayed there all night waiting to get tickets to see sticks. Now what nut would do that? That's right, I was a huge Sticks fan, uh, Crystal Ball and Grand Illusion era, and we waited there all night outside, and the next morning the ticket office opened around 8 o'clock, and we got tickets on the fifth row. And I was so stoked, and I could not wait to see that show. And boy was I ever disappointed when I found out about two weeks later that that concert was canceled. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it was due to an illness in the band or something, but it was canceled. And yeah, we stayed out there all night long for nothing. 
Thank you for sharing. I had no idea. Okay, next up, I'm going to do something a little different. I've got a friend on Facebook named Rich Trap, and he asked me to review a video. And at first I thought, well, how am I going to do that? No one can see it. But then I watched the video, and I said, well, I've got to do this. So if you want to pause this and go watch the video on YouTube, be my guest. Or if you want to watch it later, you probably should. Because I gotta tell you, this is one of the worst, most cringeworthy videos ever. It's right up there with Billy Squire's Rock Me Tonight. Yeah! It's one of those that is so bad, it's awesome. And I think the name of the band is Wally World or Wally World Encinitas. But I think if you just go to YouTube and type in Wally World Raise Some Cane... It will probably come up because it's got around 187,000 views. But anyway, I'd actually seen this video about a year ago, and I remember thinking it was funny, and I kind of felt sorry for them. Because they were obviously an unsigned band who was just trying to do anything to make it. And so somebody got the idea, hey, let's go out onto a beach, and, uh, you know, let's have one of our girlfriends put on her bikini. And she can be in the video and walk around in a coat. And, you know, we'll just put on our best rock star moves and faces. And I'm sure they had a really good time making it. uh, But, uh, you know, the video is just awful. And I really don't want to be mean about it or, uh, you know, talk crap on them. Because, uh, you know, they were just some guys having a good time. And there's really nothing wrong with that. So I'm not going to really critique the video itself. But somebody else asked me what I thought of the song, and so that I am going to critique. So here we go. It's called Raise Some Cane by Wally World. So that was the first verse. Uh, Doesn't really go to a chorus. But the first thing I noticed is that the lyrics are not real good. Ain't no shame, ain't no blame, no one's sane all the time. Raise some cane. Absolute genius. However, that riff that's going on underneath those really lame lyrics is actually pretty badass. It's like this da 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 And honestly, I really like that riff. Yeah, so Wally World is rocking you all night, baby. And that riff is grooving, and I'm ready for a big chorus. But instead, the whole song just kind of stops. Gonna rock you all night. 
and suddenly we're in the middle of a song that sounds like Guns N' Roses. Now a little patience. When you need some help, just call to the man up above. The only thing you're about to get is true When you're feeling down and you want some love, always keep in mind that to the pretty white. Okay, I'm not real sure what he was saying there because I couldn't really make out the words, but I believe I got the gist of it, and it was that, uh, you know, when you're feeling down, just keep in mind you can come to me because I will rock you. Oh, okay. Wally World, you know, they uh, did finally get to a chorus there at the end. That was good. And I'm going to say on a scale of one to five bloody metal skulls, based on the amount of rocking that they did and the amount of total joy that I got from this song, I'm going to say three and a half bloody metal skulls. It's You think it sucks. Is that what you're saying? Okay, before I go, I just wanted to say a couple of things. First of all, I'd like to give a shout out to Scott Stevens, Eric Malmstrom, and William Alexander for their extremely kind donations. You guys rule. It's not something I expect or ask for, but if you'd like to support the show, my PayPal address is monicalvin at gmail.com, and it will be much appreciated. Also, I'd like to give a huge thank you to all the people who either commissioned me to do a painting or bought a painting off my website. Starting with Peter Eam in Australia, who bought a gas fist painting, Michael Walsh, Dave Moore, David Enos, who bought the Michael Schinker painting I did, Richard Charland, uh, Garrett McCall, who bought a Joey Ramone painting, Joseph Glenn, Lance Smith, Eddie Robinson, Brian Clark, and Justin Dunlap. Dan Singleton, Todd Hudson, and Chris and Tracy Slagle all commissioned me, as did Thomas Rose, who had me do a Post Malone painting for his wife, and finally Stephen Douglas, who bought a Jimi Hendrix painting off my site. So thank you to all those people, and I also want to just thank God. He has blessed me so much with all those jobs and all those sales that uh, it's literally kept me alive financially, mentally, and emotionally. I've been able to pay my bills and get through what has been the toughest time of my life. And I'm just very grateful. And the last thing I wanted to say is thank you to everyone who listens to this podcast. 
I just really appreciate the fact that you would uh, sit there and download this and listen to what I have to say. I can't figure out why. However, at this point, uh, I've almost got too many listeners. Say what? Yeah, it's uh, almost overwhelming. So I was thinking about maybe running off a lot of people by talking some politics. Don't do it! Don't you do it! Yeah, yeah, but uh, unfortunately, I'm out of time on this episode. Oh, good. So instead, I think what I'm going to do is end the show by playing a song that I think most of you will hate. I love this idea. It's by a band called Architects. I've heard about them for a long time, but I checked out their new album, and I love it. The name of the CD is For Those Who Wish to Exist. The song is called Libertine, and it may end up being my favorite song of the year. We'll see. But it's got some of those angry, screaming vocals that a lot of you old guys don't like. But uh, hey, enjoy. But that's going to do it for me for now. I'll be back soon with more fun and mayhem. But until then, this has been Monty saying take care. Don't let anyone tell you what to like unless it's me. And rock on. Trying to swim, but I'm 
Absolutely beautiful.